0: Let us pray. O God, take our minds and think through them. Take our lips and speak through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire for love of you. For if we are with you, nothing else matters. And if we are not with you, nothing else matters. Amen. Amen. As we've heard over the last few weeks, call stories are strange and unusual things. These series of people who are given an invitation they didn't ask for, they didn't want, and were called to something that completely changed the trajectory of their life. This story is certainly no exception. This passage, this way in which Simon Peter and his friends are called in Luke is really unusual because it comes right after the story of Simon's mother-in-law being healed by Jesus. In other gospels, this story of the healing comes after the calling, yet the gospel writer of Luke finds it important to tell us that he saw a miracle of Jesus and was not yet committed to the call. Here he sits on the shore, off on the shore in his boat after a long night of fishing, and it's sort of like his mother in law's pastor has come along and says, Let me use your boat for a little while, boys. And I can't help but think after a tough night of fishing, he was maybe hoping Jesus Jesus would pass along a little cash to make up for what they had lost. Right, he's seen his mother-in-law healed, and here he sits, still not committed, still not committed to follow this strange rabbi. And yet, Jesus crawls in the boat, teaches. I'm sure it was not an 8- to 15-minute sermon. (laughs) And Jesus calls him to do something that is absolutely absurd One if you know anything about good fishing, you know it happens at night or in the early hours of the morning Especially in the ancient world Fred Craddock points out nobody would have gotten in a boat in the afternoon to try to fish And then he tells them This water isn't good enough. Go out a little further something that fishermen in the ancient world were cautious to do because you didn't swim. The waters was the place of life and death where powers and evil could happen, where danger, where people were lost at sea. And Simon says, basically, I don't know what in the world you're talking about. This breaks all the rules of fishing, but if you say go out, well, heck, what does it What does it hurt? And then, to their surprise, to their shock, the impossible happens. They broke all the rules and they pull up so much fish that the nets are breaking and boats are sinking. The gospel writers are telling an ancient audience they've hit it big. Right? It's like Jed Clampett just cut, hunting for a rabbit, and there's the oil. those of us in texas certainly know of the power of boom and bust of the oil business right i can remember i knew it was a good year when when the wells were doing well and that little check would come to my grandmother because christmas was always a little bit nicer (laughs) and then jesus does something absurd right like they've they've worked their whole life for this kind of catch, this kind of catch that's not just enough fish for today or for, to sell a few to make a little money. It's like you've made it. You hit it big. You've struck oil. You've won the stock market, like everything. And Jesus says, leave it all behind. So calling, in my mind, are these moments where we all have to decide will we be willing to do the absurd and unusual thing? Because God often is calling us to do something we would have never expected, to cast out the nets a little further. As I thought about this story, I thought back to a story about the first woman ordained in the Evangelical and Reformed Church, one of our predecessor denominations. You see, Beatrice McConnell was a good Pennsylvania farm girl, She was raised in the church. She was faithful, thought maybe as a child she'd be a medical missionary. She went to college, became a chemist, worked in a chemical defense plant during World War II, doing the kind of work that there's still stuff that she worked on that we don't know what she was doing. And at the end of the war, she had so many questions, so many doubts And she thought maybe her life would still call her to be a medical missionary in far-off foreign lands, these places that she heard stories about in Sunday school, these places that were so much bigger than the rural Pennsylvania communities she had been raised in. Yet her doubt was so great. But she signs up for seminary at Lancaster Seminary, one of our fine UCC institutions. But Lancaster is not one of these places that was on the forefront of liberal theology and justice action. (laughs) They are high church, they are stiff, they are orderly. I mean, when she was there, you were still doing theology in German and liturgy was in German. This was not the modern place that it's become now. And she never sought ordination or to be a pastor, yet she gave a sermon in chapel, and without her consent, actually, without her knowing it, her pastors wrote the synod and gave them her name to prepare her for ordained pastoral ministry. These stodgy German men cast their nets into unknown waters, breaking tradition and norms, and it brought forth justice. She would go on to serve in the ministry for actively for over 55 years. She became one of only two ordained women on the committee that wrote the Constitution of the United Church of Christ and wrote the Statement of Faith. She added the lines, Jesus went before us to teach us the way of life and death. She was also willing to give up her uncertainties, her questions, her dreams of far off lands, because other people had also called her to cast out their nets into deep and dangerous waters and i can't help but think where we would be as the united church of christ if those stodgy german professors hadn't also cast out those nets and if and if she hadn't said yes to this surprising call that she never dreamed for herself at the end of her life she said i never wanted to be ordained I just wanted to serve God in the church, and I came to seminary with all my doubts. She, and of course, she faced the patriarchy of her time. There's not an r- article written from her ordination that doesn't call her a girl, for instance. <laughs> Yet, it was faithfulness. It was God doing a new thing to surprise and wonder of the people around the other part of this passage, though, reminds us that callings almost always call us to give something up. You see, Jesus, even in this passage, just a few chapters, just a chapter before, was preaching in the synagogue, and now he has to preach out in the fields and in, off on the waters. The crowds are pressing around him. He's in this uncomfortable position. And then he calls the apostles to do the uncomfortable thing. Leave it. Let it go. You're invited. You've seen worldly abundance, yet I'm inviting you to a greater abundance, to a feast that is out of this world. And they leave their catch, and he calls forth these fishermen, including James and John, who were known in the scriptures to curse and cause trouble, to come and follow him. I also thought of another famous Pennsylvanian, I don't know what the Holy Spirit is doing in Pennsylvania these days, but (laughs) though his story's been hit, been told and retold the last few years, I thought of Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, this man who came into so many children's homes on television. I'm sure most of us know, but if you didn't, he was a Presbyterian (laughs) minister. Freddie, as his family called him, had grown up in extreme luxury, right? His grandmother when he was eight years old bought him a $5,000 Steinway piano, which in today's buying power would be like buying a five-year-old $100,000 Steinway. It's now worth $15 million. His family would give a Christmas dinner to every family in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, and yet he never wanted for anything. <laughs> That kind of money that you could just give and give and you were still in complete luxury. Their house was air-conditioned in 1937 Uh just to, to set up this picture. Yet as a boy, and because of these good old Scottish Presbyterian values, he went to school, he studied music, his other love, but he always knew he wanted to be a pastor. He gave up being in symphonies and being a composer because he wanted to go serve the church. It was that one place where his heart fully felt at rest. So he went as a newly married man to Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. He spends one semester there and within that first semester he sees his parents' newfangled contraption, the television. Yet he's impressed by it, but he's disturbed, especially by what the programmings were, were available for children. You know, it was, it was all, children were seeing boxing and shootouts and cartoons that had no educational value. And he said, this thing is too powerful to not be used for good, even though he never had a television in his home. So after that one semester, he went to New York He learned the television business at CBS, working with figures like Roy Rogers and Gabby Hayes and Kate Smith, these big names of entertainment at the time, and he learned the business. Then he heard about this new concept of public television. So he came back to Pittsburgh and worked for their first PBS station. Still, though, having this desire, this sense of call, this transformation, this need to serve the church. So on his lunch breaks, he would rush down to Pittsburgh Seminary, take a couple of classes, and then come back and finish his work. Did this for over six years before finally those stodgy Scottish Presbyterians ordained him to be an evangelist of television. Something that nobody had done at the time, and definitely not the main line. And I... And yet, he had to give something up, though, for this. He probably would have been well on his way towards a large, important East Coast Presbyterian pulpit if he had stayed on the initial course. He had to give up the comfort of the signs of authority. He traded in a clerical collar and a stole and robe for a cardigan, a bow tie, some rubber shoes, and a few puppets. But I can't help but think about the countless more lives that were transformed because children were told by him, it's you I like, you yourself, just the way you are. You're special. He never had to talk about Jesus or about God, yet he presented Christian values just by telling children they were loved. You might be in an abusive situation you might know that you are different than all the others, yet it's you I like. All of these people today that we've talked about were issued an unusual, strange, and impossible invitation. People equally thought his call to television was impossible. What, what do you mean, a television evangelist? What do you mean a woman minister What do you mean, fishing when it's still daylight after we've been out all night? It was impossible, and yet they took that invitation that transformed their lives and their plans and their expectations, and they used it for the good of the world, for the good of God's kingdom. So I invite you now to think about Where might you be invited? What strange impossibility are you being called to in this very moment? What strange impossibility are we as new church being invited to in this very moment? We might have to give something up. We might have to do a new thing. Yet, it's an invitation. So I end with these words from Stephen King, of all people. (laughs) We did not ask for this room or this music we were invited in. And though the dark surround us, let us turn our faces to the light. We were given hardship to be thankful for plenty. We have been given pain to be astounded by joy. We have been given life to defeat death. We did not ask for this room or this music, but friends, we are here. So let us dance. Amen.